This morning I want to share some really good news from you by reading from out of Exodus chapter 33 beginning in verse 12. This is a conversation between Moses and the Lord. I invite you now to hear the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, and I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, today we thank you that you knew Moses' name. And you reassured him of that fact. Lord, today, share with us good news. And let each of us know that you not only know our name, but that you truly know us. And may the good news transform our lives and give us hope and joy. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but there are times when... I really need to hear some good news. You know, when things are tough, when it seems like there's been this constant diet of bad news, I need to hear good news. As all of you know, we have been through a very long season where it seems as though most of the news that we have received has been negative, bad news. We've had the constant diet of pandemic news, most of which has been on the negative side of things. We have heard news of racial injustice and racial unrest. There's been a lot of political conflict. And personally, I've been constantly minded every time I go on to the Vols website that last year my Vols were three and seven in football. That is really bad news. And somebody has the audacity this morning to be wearing an Alabama shirt in the service. Bad news. Well, most of us, I assume, are ready to hear some good news, aren't we? You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are people of the good news. Not only are we called to share the good news that is revealed from God through Jesus Christ, but we are people who need to be reminded of that good news. That news changes our perspective when we hear it. It can breathe a fresh breath of life 
into our lungs and into our hearts. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on some really good news. We're going to be exploring a few of the fundamentals of our faith and how that is good news for us. I believe that being reminded of this can have a huge positive impact on us and it can help us not only in how we live out our lives in a joyful manner, but it can make a difference in the lives of our families, in the lives of our neighbors, and in the world around us. So I invite you to listen closely, whether you're present here in the sanctuary or whether you're watching online, to hear the good news. And I ask you, are you ready to hear the good news? Are you? Let's hear the good news. Well, Moses had been through one of the most difficult times in his life. It was definitely, up to this point, the most difficult experience he had ever had as a leader. After the Hebrews had been delivered from out of their Egyptian bondage, God had led them into the wilderness, had caused them to camp at the foot of Mount Sinai, and it was there that God called Moses to come upon the mountain, and Moses had an experience unlike any other human being had ever had or would have. Because it was there that Moses spent 40 days in God's presence hearing from and experiencing God directly. It was there that God gave Moses the law. But while they were there on the mountain, something back in the camp of the Hebrews was going on that wasn't so good. The people began to wonder where their leader was. They began to wonder, is Moses still alive? Has he led us out here in the wilderness to abandon us? And so they began to become restless. And as a result, they gave Aaron, Moses' brother, some of their gold, and he fashioned that gold into an idol, a golden calf, and the people began to gather around that calf and worship that idol as their god. God became very irate with the people there in the camp, wondering how quickly they had abandoned him and were worshiping this idol something made with human hands and God was ready to strike them down just to wipe them off of the face of the earth and he told Moses what he was going to do and Moses interceded God told Moses that he would wipe them out and he would raise up through Moses a people to lead into the promised land but Moses said no stick with this people and God relented And then later, as Moses came off the mountain and he began to come and approach the camp where they were and he saw that they were indeed worshiping this golden calf and there was great revelry going on, Moses became irate. And quite honestly, what follows in the story is troubling and disastrous for all that were involved. Well, a few days, a couple of weeks passed And Moses was wrestling with all that he had experienced, this bad experience that had taken place. And he began to wonder, could he, should he, lead this people that God had called him to lead? Could he fulfill the mission that God had given him to do? Were these people even worthy of his attempts to do so? And so Moses, 
as was his practice, went to the place near the camp, a place set aside where he could meet with God, the tent of meeting. And he began to go there to work this out with God. And in this conversation that you overheard just a moment ago from the Scripture lesson, you hear how Moses is wrestling with this issue. Can I lead this people? Should I lead this people? Can I go on? Now, if you've ever been in a position of leadership, you've probably felt some of what Moses felt there. Now, if you go through the radical nature that he did and the the extremes that he experienced, but in leadership, it's common to experience those kind of things. And Randy probably could testify with me, there have been those moments in our ministry when we've gone through those times of wrestling. And so it was in that moment, in that situation, that this conversation unfolds. Moses desperately needed reassurance from God. Moses needed to know that God was with him. Moses needed to know that God would be present as they were going up. And in the midst of this conversation, we find Moses saying these words to God. He said, God, you told me. You know my name. You know my name. God, you told me that you would show me favor. And in this moment, Moses didn't feel much of that favor. And God replied to Moses, promising that he would be with him, that he would do the very things that Moses said. And then he once again gave him these powerful words of reassurance. I know your name. Does God know your name? When I was a teenager and young adult, uh, Holston Conference was then led by uh, Bishop Ellis Finger. Randy remembers Bishop Finger. Uh, he had wore glasses and he would take his glasses off and put one of the earpieces in his mouth as he would talk. That's one of the things I remember about Bishop Finger. Now, quite honestly, I, I don't remember much that he... Uh, I don't ever remember a sermon that he preached. I don't remember any administrative decisions that Bishop Finger made. But there is one thing I remember about Bishop Finger other than his interesting behavior of putting his earpiece in the side of his mouth, and it was this. Bishop Finger knew my name. As a matter of fact, I think he not only knew my name, of course, I was a preacher's kid. Dad was a United Methodist pastor. Of course, Dad, by the way, my dad is taking another appointment, Randy. At age 87, he's going to be pastoring Arcadia United Methodist Church. Now, that's absolutely amazing. Have I got some good genes or what, you know? So, so Bishop Finger, it seemed that he knew every pastor's name, the spouse of every pastor, and all their children. And I can tell you, as a teenager and as a young adult, from time to time when I would encounter the bishop and he would look at me and he would say, Dwight, it made me feel important. You know, your name is one of your most important treasures. You realize that? Uh, it's something that is uniquely yours and no one else owns it. Even if you have a common name like 
Bill Smith or Bill Jones, you know. There may be thousands, tens of thousands of people that share that name, but that name is still yours. Your name is a precious treasure, even if a part of your name you don't particularly care for. If your name Gertrude, I mean, it's still a precious name. It's a treasure that you have. If you're out in a crowd, or at this moment, if I were to call out any of your names, you would perk up in a, in a certain way. And if you're in a crowd of people and someone says your name, Dwight, I always look around, see who's calling out to me. And I'll oftentimes respond. How about you? Don't you do the same thing? There's something special about your name. It is your unique treasure and possession. I challenge you this week. If you go out shopping and you're checking out with a cashier, near 99.9% of them will have a name tag on, while they're checking you out, call out their name, and I, I want you to look at what happens. They'll first of all look back at you to see if they know you, and then they'll usually put a smile on their face. Your name is one of your most treasured possessions. An extremely wealthy person, and he's a person we know from the Bible, uh, Solomon, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, you know, books are written in the Bible. He wrote in Proverbs these, wo- these words, he says, he says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Now, most of us would like to have plenty to live on, and a lot of us would like to have, you know, be wealthy and have everything we want, right? But he says that your name and a good name is more valuable than great riches, To keep your name pure, to keep your name clean, to have that good name is absolutely valuable. A name. Now, I have long understood the importance of a person's name. Maybe I learned that from Bishop Finger, I'm not sure, but I've all I I learned early in life that names are important, and your name is important. And that's why I work hard to remember names. And I found that in order to remember a name, to attach that name to the face, I first of all have to listen, I have to pay attention, I have to be more attentive to what the person tells me their name is than the next thing I'm going to say. I have to repeat that name and then I have to think about it later to keep that name in my memory. Now, I can tell you I'm not as good as, at that as I used to be, I think it's because I got all these names crammed into this little noggin up here. Now, some of you might say, no, Dwight, it's just because you're getting older, but I know that's really not the truth. But your name, I realize, is important. It is important. And you know, it's one thing to be able to attach a name to a face, and that's important. You know, again, as United Methodist pastor, I, I know a lot of pastors in our annual conference by name. For example, the pastor at First Methodist Church in Bristol, Virginia, is Brandon Berg. And if Brandon were to walk into this sanctuary right now, I could introduce you to that person and say, this is Brandon Berg. But quite honestly, that's the only thing I know about Brandon Berg is that he is the pastor there at First Church. But now, if you were to ask me, do you know Randy Martin? 
Gosh, do I know Randy Martin. I not only know what Randy Martin's face looks like, but I know Randy Martin. I can tell you more about Randy. We've known each other for a lot of years. And I know a lot about Randy, and he knows a lot about me. And I can tell you things about Randy you don't want to know. And I can tell you things about Randy you want to know. And you know what? I know Randy's heart as well. I know the person. Does God know your name? Does God know you? One of my favorite chapters in the Gospels comes from Matthew, not Matthew, but John chapter 10, where John shares the words of Jesus about the Good Shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And in that section of Scripture, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Now, in Jesus' world, how sheep were cared for are different than what we know about sheep care. In this region and in most places in the United States, sheep are placed in large fields, pastures with fences around them to keep the sheep where they need to be. But that wasn't true in Jesus' world. In Jesus' world, sheep were cared for by their shepherds, and shepherds essentially lived with their sheep. When sheep would be taken to pasture, They would be taken from place to place where they would find green grass to eat. And so at night, a shepherd would take the sheep, place it in pens, and these pens were typically walled areas, walls some 10, 12 feet tall, one entry into these pens, and the sheep would go into the pen and the shepherd would camp out at that doorway so that nothing could get into the sheep to hurt them. And then in the morning, when the sun would rise up, the shepherd would have in mind where he would go this next day for pasture for his sheep, where they could find water. And he would start walking away, and he would begin calling the sheep by name. You see, the shepherd would name every sheep. The shepherd could identify what sheep look like what. You know, we look at a a field of sheep, and we think all those sheep look exactly the same, but not to the shepherd. Not to the shepherd. All were unique. And so the shepherd would walk away and begin calling the names of the sheep. And guess what would happen? They would follow. Jesus' words are a message to you and me. Jesus knows us. He knows us by name. He can not only identify us in the crowd, but He really knows us as well. This morning, as Brett led us in our affirmation of faith from out of 139, I hope you were listening because in that psalm, it speaks of how God knows us intimately. While you were being formed inside your mama, God saw you and knew you. When you're getting ready to formulate a word on your lips, God knows 
what it is. God knows what you're thinking. God knows your heart. God knows who you are. God knows you. God knows you well. God knows us intimately. In the Old Testament, there is an interesting character by the name of Samuel. Samuel came into this world by what most would consider to be a miraculous birth. His mama had been barren, unable to have children, and she called out to God, crying to God, asking God to give her a baby. And God did. And Samuel was born. And she was so elated by this great gift from God that she made a commitment that she would give her son to God's service. And so when he came of age, in essence when he was able to care for himself, she took him to the tabernacle, a place where people worship God. And she presented him to then the priest, Eli, and said, here he's here. He's yours to serve you and to serve the temple and to serve God. Samuel, while he was there serving God, one night he went to bed and after he had gone to sleep, he heard a noise in the middle of the night, someone calling out his voice, Samuel! And he jumped up, startled from his sleep, and ran to Eli, assuming that Eli had called upon him. But when he got to Eli, Eli said, No, I didn't call you. He heard the voice a second time, Samuel! And he again went to Eli, and Eli said, I'm not calling you. A third time. And Eli said, I'm not calling you. But Eli realized that it must be God calling his name. And so Eli gave instructions to Samuel how to listen to God and how to listen to his name. And so God called again when Samuel lay down. And Samuel said, I am your servant. I'm listening. This morning, God knows you. And God knows your name. God knows everything there is to know about you. And God loves you deeply. And there are those moments when God calls your name. Sometimes it comes in a quiet, still voice. Sometimes it's in a startling boom. Sometimes you may think you hear it audibly. And sometimes it's in your mind and in your heart. But God calls your name. He may call you to follow Him or to come back after you've drifted away. He may call you to follow and to do an act of ministry that makes a difference in the world. Or it may be that God just calls out and calls your name to let you know He loves you. Listen to God's voice. Maybe today, maybe yesterday, God's been calling out to you. Be like Samuel and say, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm listening. Let's pray.
Father, we thank You for the good news that You know our name. Not only can You attach our face to our name, but You really know us and You love us. Lord, teach our ears to hear You, listening for our name to be called by Your loving voice, and let us respond to You. In Jesus' name, amen.